Uh, since this is a new term, you, like several of the other teachers, will be assigned to the stockroom during your free period to take inventory and give out supplies. I see. And what does my good friend Raffles have in mind? We split a carload of pencils and retire? Oh, oh no, Miss Brooks. My motives are purely altruistic. I merely want to assist an already overburdened teacher whose heart and spirit are big and willing, but whose mind and body may not long stand the strain put upon it by the forthcoming scholastic hassle. <laughs> Walter, if Olivia de Havilland gets the Academy Award, you was robbed. <laughs> And there is where the problem arises, the stockroom. Hey, everyone, it's OTR Rob welcoming you to another edition of Our Miss Brooks. This Our Miss Brooks is from February 6th, 1945, and the episode is entitled The Electric Heater. And this episode guarantees that it will be a barn burner. <laughs> that was a mouthful for... Walter Denton to speak, <laughs> very long speech, takes a lot of rehearsal to do that just right, and Richard Crenna was up to the challenge of doing just that, so enjoy this episode of Our Miss Brooks from February 6th, 1949, The Electric Heater, The Missing Electric Heater, and I'll be back after this with my friend Irma. I'm Ollie Cope, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. <laughs> Our Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High School, and like many other teachers, started a brand new semester last Monday. And like many other teachers, I attended the faculty meeting Monday afternoon. Here, our beloved principal, Osgood Conklin, gave me my semi-annual pat on the back. Then I picked myself up and walked back across the room. <laughs> and he instituted his new crackdown plan. More discipline, less horseplay, everybody toe the line, run the school in an orderly manner. After this mirth-provoking monologue, he chewed up a little furniture and stalked out. Well, maybe it was the faculty meeting, or then again, maybe it was the watercress and cucumber sandwich I had before retiring. <laughs> At any rate, I remember lying in bed Monday night and dozing off, when suddenly I seemed to be awakened by a loud pounding at my door. What is it? Uh, who's there? It is I, Osgood Conklin, your beloved principal. I'm coming in. Mr. Conklin, is anything wrong? Wrong? There's plenty wrong. We've got to crack down. More discipline. Less horseplay. Everybody toe the line. Run the school in an orderly manner. But, Mr. Conklin, is this your idea of less horseplay? I was fast asleep. Oh, then I hope I'm not disturbing you. <laughs> I'll go right on sleeping. Good. Miss Brooks, I've got to talk to you. Well, pull up a cucumber sandwich and sit down. Thank you. Mr. Conklin, you're biting the arm of my chair. Uh, yes, so I am. Sorry, but you know how I get when I'm upset. Now then, Miss Brooks, we've got to have more discipline. Got to have discipline. Got to have discipline. Got to have discipline. You hear me, Miss Brooks? I just heard four of you. <laughs> you're right. There are four of me. More discipline, Conklin. Less horseplay, Conklin. Toe the line, Conklin. And run the school in an orderly manner, Conklin. 
I wish I could add just one more. Which one? Rest in peace, Conklin. <laughs> Uh, enough of these pleasantries, Miss Brooks. As you know, our profession teaches us that we must learn by doing. So, here we go. Everybody up, 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 up. Rise and shine. Leave the sack. Leave the sack? <laughs> Mr. Conklin, are you telling me to get up now? Miss Brooks, do I have to dump your bed? No, sir, I'm getting up. <laughs> now then, setting up exercises. Hands on shoulders. Place. Now touch the floor. One, two... Sound off! Three, four... Open the door. Five, six... Why don't I pick up some sticks and beat him over the head with them? <laughs> ah, you're nervous, Miss Brooks. Overwrought. You should get more rest. Oh, now we're on the same side. I'll get you back in bed, and you just fade into the woodwork. <laughs> Not so fast, young woman. First, we must practice our daily hair treatment. Hands on head. Place. Now then, rub. One, two... Three, four, one, two, three, four. How is that, Mr. Conklin? Am I doing it right? Oh, it feels great, Miss Brooks. I should have eight new hairs by Monday. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Why are you massaging that pillow? It's got to have eight new hairs by morning. <laughs> Connie, Connie, wake up. Huh? Oh. Oh, has he gone? Has who gone? Oh. Oh, well, just forget about it, Mrs. Davis. It isn't important. On the contrary, I think it's intriguing. Has who gone? Please, Mrs. Davis, it was just one of my nightmares. Oh, was it a bad one, dear? It was in Technicolor and starred Osgood Conklin. <laughs> I spent half the night rehearsing how to get up in the morning. That's what I, why I was so nervous when you woke me. Oh, I know how dreams can affect you, dear, but you must put them out of your mind when you wake up. Why, I had some bad dreams last night myself. You did? Yes, I was in a jungle somewhere surrounded by lions and tigers. But if my cat Minerva walked in now, I wouldn't jump up on the chandelier. You must have better control of your nerves than I have. Meow! <laughs> See if we need any new bulbs up there, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> Minerva, where in the world did you come from? Oh, I haven't told her about that yet, honey. She's only a kitten. <laughs> Well, you'd better have a little talk with her. She's been running around with a pretty old crowd. (laughs) Please, Connie, don't talk that way in front of her. Minerva's very high-strung. Yes, I know. Lately, that cat's been as jumpy as a person. (laughs) Now, you forget about nerves and bad dreams and hurry in for a nice breakfast. I've got a brand new secret recipe for you. A secret recipe, Mrs. Davis? Yes. If I tell you how I'm making your egg this morning, will you keep it under your hat? Well, it may get my hairdo a little icky, but I'll try. <laughs> I'm making you a delicious watercress and cucumber omelet. Oh, no. That's what started my nightmare. Besides, I haven't time to eat breakfast now, Mrs. Davis. Walter Denton's picking me up any minute. How come Walter's calling for you today? Your car isn't in the repair shop again, is it? No, but I decided not to drive for a while after picking up a couple of hitchhikers last Saturday. But, Connie, why should that discourage you from driving? I picked him up on my bumper. (laughs) 
would you lean over toward my side of the car a little more, please, Miss Brooks? Why, Walter Denton, what have you in mind? Oh, it's nothing personal. I just want to get a good look at you in my rear view mirror. Yup, it's just as I thought. You look harassed. Harassed and bedeviled. Yeah, but lovely. Oh, thank you, Walter. <laughs> sort of. Especially your eyes. Even though there are a few temporary crow's feet caused by worry in the corners. They're just huddling together for warmth. <laughs> but, Walter, to what do I owe these backhanded gallantries? Yeah, I was afraid you might take exception to my frankness. But I mean it all for your own good, Miss Brooks. If I have been less voluble concerning your obvious charms in the past, know, too, that I have been less voluble about the human frailties, which you, like all mankind, have sometimes fallen heir to. Except, then, my plea for leniency. I'll grant you a full pardon if you'll tell me what you're talking about. Of course. Sometimes I get carried away by my own words. You just used enough of them to carry away Sidney Greenstreet. <laughs> what are you trying to wheedle out of me, Walter? Well, now that you mention it, there is something you can do to help both of us out. I thought so. What is it? Oh, it's like this. Since this is a new term, you, like several of the other teachers, will be assigned to the stockroom during your free period to take inventory and give out supplies. I see. And what does my good friend Raffles have in mind? We split a carload of pencils and retire? <laughs> oh, oh, no, Miss Brooks. My motives are purely altruistic. I merely want to assist an already overburdened teacher whose heart and spirit are big and willing, but whose mind and body may not long stand the strain put upon it by the forthcoming scholastic hassle. <laughs> Walter, if Olivia de Havilland gets the Academy Award, you was robbed. <laughs> now come clean. What's your cut in the projected Madison High School stockroom swindle? Cut? Oh, Miss Brooks, I'm surprised at you. Surprised and chagrined. Oh, when I think of your sense of integrity, your honesty... Please, and... Walter, if you polish this apple anymore, it'll be too slippery to pick up. <laughs> now, come to the point, Walter. Well, whoever helps out in the stockroom gets first choice of the textbooks, right? Right. And you want to help me so you can get yourself the brand new books, nice and clean, right? Wrong. I want the old ones with the answers already penciled in. <laughs> Now, why did I let that slip out? Oh, but you can see it my way, can't you? Sometimes in the impenetrable forest of education, the path is easier seen if someone has cleared the underbrush. <laughs> yes, but you're asking for a free ride on the bulldozer. <laughs> Don't you think it would be, be better if you relied on your own work, Walter? After all, with an old book, you could be copying somebody else's mistakes. Anybody's mistakes are better than mine. <laughs> well, if you put it that way, Walter. Gee, thanks, Miss Brooks. Well, here we are. Thanks for the lift, Walter. I'll run along in now. Ooh, ooh. Gosh, Miss Brooks, didn't you see that mud puddle? Of course I did. I just thought it might be fun to go wading. <laughs> Can I help you scrape off the mud? Well, I haven't time now. If I can just sneak by Mr. Conklin's office, I'll clean up when I get to my room. But suppose you can't sneak by his office. That, Walter, I refuse to contemplate. Believe me, if Mr. Conklin sees me tripping through the hall on these two lumps of mud, my name will be Shoes. <laughs> Our Eve Arden will continue in just a moment, but first, here is Vern Smith. 
Regardless of age, skin type, or previous beauty care, doctors prove you too may win a lovelier complexion with palm olive soap. But to win this lovelier complexion, you must stop improper cleansing. Instead, use palm olive the way doctors advise. Thirty-six doctors, leading skin specialists, advise using palm olive soap this way for 1,285 women with all types of skin. Young, old, dry, oily, normal. And using palm olive soap alone, nothing but palm olive. Two out of three want lovelier complexions. Oily skin looked less oily. Dull, drab skin wonderfully brighter. Coarse-looking skin appeared finer. Even tiny blemishes, incipient blackheads disappeared or improved. Now, here's what the doctors advise. Wash your face with palm olive soap three times a day. Massage with palm olive's wonderful beauty lather for 60 seconds each time to get its full beautifying effect. Then rinse. Look for improvement in your complexion within 14 days. For doctors prove this way, using palm olive alone really works. So forget all other beauty care. Get palm olive soap and start today to win a lovelier complexion. For loveliness all over, use big, thrifty bath-sized palm olive in your tub or shower. And now, while our Miss Brooks is quietly sloshing down the corridor in her muddy pumps, let's look in on Mr. Conklin, Madison's beloved principal, and adjust our wavelength to his stream of consciousness. Oh, we come to the start of another school day. A nice muggy one at that, if I needed bad weather to make me irritable. The teachers in this school have simply cut... Now, who's that packing her dirty shoes through our hallowed halls? <laughs> Think she's going to sneak past my office, does she? Well, we'll just wait till she's eaten with the door. Then... Oh, who goes there? <laughs> you, Mr. Conklin. How are things in the principal's office? Fine, thank you. How are things in the other glade? <laughs> Just uh, take those shoes off and step in here for a moment, Miss Brooks. I want to talk to you. Yes, sir. Do you by any chance remember what I told the faculty at the meeting yesterday? Oh, certainly, Mr. Conklin. I've been going over it in my mind all night. Remember? Remember? <laughs> of course, I remember what was discussed at the meeting. The question is, do you? Oh, indeed I do, Mr. Conklin, every word. We've got to have more horseplay and less discipline. <laughs> What's that? I mean, we've got to crack up, crack down. <laughs> I won't have a repetition of last term's lack of discipline. There's only one way to run a school. And that's, that's in an, an orderly manner. Naturally, I need the cooperation of my staff. And everybody's, everybody's got, got to, to toe the line. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's no reason why things shouldn't go off like clockwork. One, two... Sound off! Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Conklin. It's just that I spent a rather restless night. In fact, we both did. Uh, <laughs> I'm still a bit upset. Well, there's nothing like concentrating on one's work to settle one's nerves. When is your first free period? Right after lunch. I figured I'd get a good rest then. I think not, Miss Brooks. I penciled you in for the stockroom at that time. Oh. Well, I have a lot of erasers in there. Maybe we could rub me out. <laughs> uh... No, I guess not. <laughs> we are extremely short of supplies, Miss Brooks, so I want you to check every requisition very carefully before handing them out. 
And if for any reason you have to leave the stockroom, you know what to do? Raise my hand. <laughs> you lock the, the door. Is that clear? Yes, Mr. Conklin, I locked the door. Well, I'll be running along now. Uh, One moment, Miss Brooks. Haven't you forgotten something? Oh. Oh, yes. Rub, two, three, four, rub. Mrs. Brooks, get your fingers out of my head. (laughs) Oh, I thought lunch period would never get here, Mr. Boynton. Oh, me either. I'm starved. I'll just put our tray down and sit opposite you. There. Now, it's funny how we happened to bump into each other at the entrance of the cafeteria. Quite a coincidence. Yes, it was. Of course, I had to run a little. (laughs) But I think it's nice to have someone take you to lunch, don't you? Yes, I do, Miss Brooks. It's grand of you to ask me. (laughs) Would you mind passing my soup over, please? Here you are, Mr. Boynton. Nothing like a good hot plate of soup to warm you up. I said that laboratory of mine's like an igloo. Even my hands are freezing. Let's feel them. Say, they are cold. Yours are nice and warm. How'd they get that way? I had them in your soup. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a shame we don't have a better heating system in this school. Especially in the biology lab with all those little mice and rabbits and students. You're right, Miss <laughs> I was talking to Mr. Jensen, the janitor, about it, and he's promised to speak to Mr. Conklin and get him to inspect the system himself. You see, I have a lot of electrical appliances in the lab now, but none of them give off much heat. I've got to have another outlet if I'm to attach any oh, excuse other... excuse me, Mr. Boynton. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Walter. Well, we'd better be getting down to the stockroom. I don't want you to get nervous when the requisitions start pouring in. Or the books with the answers in them start pouring out, hmm? <laughs> Well, all right, Walter. We might as well get going. Will you excuse me, Mr. Boynton? Sure, Miss Brooks. And even though you asked me to lunch, I don't want you to worry about the check. Oh, well, that's very nice of you. I'll pay my own, Miss Brooks. You just take care of yours. (laughs) Well, the worst part of the supply rush is over, Miss Brooks. Now we can sort of take inventory of the surplus stuff that we can use. That is, you can use for your class. Like what, Walter? Oh, paper, pencils... Staplers, they bring 40 to 50 cents on the outside. And I really need one for my schoolwork. And, and then there are inkwells, the paper clips. Yeah, this stockroom is only two doors from your room, Miss Brooks. Why don't I get an armful of stuff and stash it away under your desk right now? Walter, I am an English teacher, not a fence. <laughs> There's no such thing as surplus in the school system. Everything has to be requisitioned. And... Wait a minute, what's this? That? Oh, that's an electric heater, Miss Brooks. An electric heater, hmm? Why, that's just what Mr. Boynton needs for his lab. I know what. I'll hook it up right now and surprise him. But what about a requisition? Walter, can I trust you? Oh, you know you can, Miss Brooks. Of course, and I do. So if you'll keep quiet about this heater, I'll get you a requisition for a brand new stapler. Gee, that's swell of you, Miss Brooks. Now I can take this one out of the lining of my jacket. <laughs> Harriet, where's the heater I sent you for? It wasn't there, Daddy. I looked all over the stockroom, but there wasn't a trace of it. Did you ask Miss Brooks about it? Miss Brooks wasn't there. Nobody was there. And the door was open. No wonder my heater's missing. I distinctly told her. Now what? Come in! Excuse me, Mr. but I've got to talk to you right away. Oh, hello, Mr. Jensen. Hello, Harriet. I better be going now, Daddy. I've got a class in a few minutes. All right, Harriet. 
Now, what is it, Jensen? I'm rather busy right now. Oh, this is important, sir. As custodian of the building, I feel it's my duty. You feel what is your duty? To tell you, sir. To tell me what? Please, Mr. Conklin, don't shout. That's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons for what? For your high blood pressure. Now, when I was your age... Never mind that now. What do you want to see me about? <laughs> Biological laboratory. The furnace vent isn't large enough to heat that big room. It's so cold in there, Mr. Boynton's had to put earmuffs on the rabbit. <laughs> We've got to build another outlet. Outlets cost money, Jensen. We'll requisition another heater. Meanwhile, I've got to find the when one... When you got to put my... earmuffs on rabbits, brother, you're in trouble. <laughs> If an electric heater is hooked onto the present wiring setup, it can cause a short. Well, tell me about it another time. And even worse finding... than a short, Mr. Conklin, it might start a fire. I don't like to censure you, Mr. Jensen, but you are an alarmist. Yes, sir. Now I'm going down to that stock room and wait in back of it for Miss Brooks to return. I'll teach her to leave doors open. <laughs> I'm glad we set up the heater in here before Mr. Boynton came back, Walter. Yeah, he'll sure be surprised, I bet. Uh, come on, Miss Brooks. Oh, there's the next class. I've got you in English this period. That's a coincidence, Walter. I've got you, too. <laughs> oh, Walter, here's the stock room and the door is still ajar. Didn't you lock it when we left? No, I thought you did. Give me that key. There. Mr. Conklin would have a fit if he found this door open. <laughs> All right, class, your next question is as follows. In The Mill on the Floss, George Eliot writes about a gentleman who is often compared with a gentleman in Silas Marner. Who is that gentleman? Are you talking about a fictional gentleman or George Eliot himself? Himself? Walter, it happens that she wasn't exactly a gentleman. So what? He was a darn good writer. <laughs> next question. Goodness, that heating system is really noisy. Hello? Hello? Why, it's the boom. It's coming out of the vent here. What? Quiet a minute. Let me listen. Hello? Hello there. Can you hear me? Sure. What time's the break set for? <laughs> Who are you? That sounds like Daddy. Daddy, can you hear us? Yes, get me out of here. He must be stuck in the furnace. <laughs> Nonsense, Walter. He was going to inspect the heating system. He's probably just stuck in a pipe somewhere. <laughs> in a pipe somewhere? Oh, I'll go call the fire department. Harriet, you stay here and chat with your father. <laughs> What made you ring the gong for a fire drill? Well, I heard you calling the fire department, and I thought... Oh, but that's not for a fire. Mr. Conklin's stuck in a pipe somewhere, and I just called the department to get him out. Well, most of the kids are out in the street by now. I better go keep them in line. A little extra preparedness won't hurt any. Stuck in a pipe? Oh, I'd better get back to my own room now. Uh-oh, here come the firemen. Well, here we are. Where's the fire? Uh, right this way, Chief. Yeah, come on, men. There isn't any fire, really. You see, it's just that somebody's caught in a pipe. Caught in a pipe? For this, I left a hand with a hundred aces and a double pinochle in it? <laughs> oh, please do something. My daddy's 
somewhere. You've got to get him out. Well, where is he? Well, he was coming in over this vent here very clearly. <laughs> All right. Let's get at this thing with our picks, man. Oh, my. Walter! Walter! Walter, there's enough confusion around here as it is. Okay. Go tell Mr. Boynton to send all the children home immediately. Okay, Miss Brooks. Keep going, man. We've got to get him out of that pipe. What a remote of Mark. Oh, what's that? It seems to be coming from the stock room. Hey, it is in here. Let's see now. Did Miss Brooks give me back the key? Oh, yeah. Here it is. Walter Denton. I lay this crime at your door. No, sir. Two doors down. <laughs> so see you later. I got orders to go home with the others. Well, we'll find out about this. What's going on here, Miss Brooks? How could... Who is... When did he... Please, I'll explain uh... it all later. Right now, we've got to get Mr. Conklin out of this pipe. He's... Mr. Conklin! <laughs> oh, Daddy, thanks for Mr. Slade. Hello, Harriet. Stop! The principal's got himself stuck, and we gotta get the knucklehead out. <laughs> For your information, I'm the knucklehead who's stuck. I mean, I'm the principal of this school. Mr. Conklin, how did you get out of the pipe? I was never in the pipe. But we heard you. You yelled, "Get me out of here!" Yeah. What's the idea of yelling, "Get me out of here!" if you're not stuck in here? I was locked in the stock room. Obviously, this heat event connects with the vent in there, and. As any idiot could figure out, well, how does any idiot get himself locked in a stockroom? <laughs> that will be all of that. I've had enough abuse from the fire department. Yes, we've had enough abuse from the fire department. Quiet, Miss Brooks. Now then, fireman, please remove your pickaxe from the school woodwork. Well, you needn't get so huffy. <laughs> a little hole. Here, I'll take it out. <laughs> Just what we needed, a larger classroom. <laughs> now then, Miss Brooks, I want some explanations, and I want them fast. Yes, sir. Who locked me in the storeroom? Where are all the students? Who called the fire department? And that's what I'd like to know. Don't you realize that these false alarms cost the city money? Now we gotta pack all our stuff up. What are all you firemen standing around for? Why don't you do something? Relax, Mr. Boynton. Mr. Conklin's out now. There's nothing left to do. Nothing left to do? But my lab is on fire. What? What? That's more like it! Come on, man! Just you and me. You and me and one more question. What's that, Mr. Thompson? Did you happen to run across an electric heater in the stockroom? Yes, I did. And did you happen to connect it anywhere? Like Mr. Boynton's laboratory, for instance? Yes, I did. Ah, funny thing about that. I was told by Mr. Jensen just this morning that another electrical appliance on that circuit would cause a fire. Now, you've got to be punished, Miss Brooks. <laughs> you hear me? You've got to be punished! <laughs> Where are you going, Miss Brooks? To take a cold 
cold shower. This is the longest nightmare I've ever had. Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster cream, not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to... And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, it wasn't much of a fire, and as soon as they put it out, one of the firemen got a hook and ladder, climbed up, and brought Mr. Conklin's blood pressure down. (laughs) When he was slightly more rational, he called me into his office again. Miss Brooks, since Mr. Boynton failed to remind me about the electric hazard in the biology laboratory, I have decided that he is almost as guilty as you are. Oh, but Mr. Conklin, he... Silence. You, Miss Brooks, will stay after school and help Mr. Boynton clean up the debris those firemen left behind. I don't care to keep you both here all evening. Mr. Conklin, is that my punishment for starting the fire? Exactly. Got a match? Starring Eve Arden is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Heck. Men, here is actual factual proof of more comfortable, actually smoother shaves by using Palmolive Lather Shaving Cream. 1,251 men tried the Palmolive Lather way to shave described on the tube, and no matter how they shaved before, three out of four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Try Palmolive Lather Shaving Cream. See if you don't get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves the Palmolive Lather Shaving Cream way. Listen to our Miss Brooks next week over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. You know, when you live in a city with a population the size of New York's, There are bound to be many people like yourself. But of one thing I'm certain, in all New York, yes, in all the world, there can only be one Irma Peterson. (laughs) How do I know? Because only one person thinks like my beloved roommate. For instance, the other day I was reading the newspaper and I said, Irma. Yes, Jane? Listen to this headline in the paper, Higher Meat Prices Predicted for 1948. Isn't that awful? Oh, it sure is, Jane. It's going to give a lot of people an inferiority complex. Inferiority complex? Yes, I heard that the human body is only worth 97 cents. Why should a cow be any better than you or me?
<laughs> Somewhere, somehow, there has to be some kind of logic inside a hermit's brain. <laughs> Although I don't know what that logic would be. <laughs> wow, I think Al marries Irma. It would be a miracle for Irma to get even a louse like Al for a husband. Because I don't think anyone else in their right mind would marry Irma. At least any intelligent man wouldn't want to marry Irma. Of course, I could be completely wrong about that. There may be someone out there who's like Irma that would be attracted to Irma. Maybe. Anyway, <laughs> Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob, welcoming you to My Friend Irma. This episode is from February 9th, 1948. I didn't have an episode for 49, so the episode is entitled Billy Boy, the Boxer. I have no idea what this is about. You're, I'm going to have to listen right along with you to find out. So enjoy this episode of Irma, and I'll be back with Fred Allen. <laughs> Lieber Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super-creamed blend, presents... Our friend, Swan, with my friend, Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship when other friendships have been forgotten. Theirs will still be hot. the size of New York's, they're bound to be many people like yourself. But of one thing I'm certain, in all New York, yes, in all the world, there can only be one Irma Peterson. <laughs> How do I know? Because only one person thinks like my beloved roommate. For instance, the other day I was reading the newspaper and I said, Irma. Yes, Jane? Listen to this headline in the paper, Higher Meat Prices Predicted for 1948. Isn't that awful? Oh, it sure is, Jane. It's going to give a lot of people an inferiority complex. Inferiority complex? Yes, I heard that the human body's only worth 97 cents. Why should a cow be any better than you or me? <laughs> try to find an answer for that, but right now I'm more concerned with Irma's heart than her mind. You see, Valentine's Day is nearly here, and with the approach of any holiday with the least romantic significance, Irma becomes certain that Al is going to propose. She felt that way on Mother's Day, on Father's Day, in fact, on every holiday except Labor Day. <laughs> she knows that that's the day when Al hides. But I know that she's banking heavily on the culmination of her dreams this Valentine's Day Because right now she's down on her knees in front of her hope chest Examining its contents Believe me, such contents no human eye has ever seen in a hope chest In one corner she has stacked bottles of root beer, mission orange, cherry soda and coats <laughs> Irma, what is the idea? Well, when, maybe when Al sees all that pop, he'll want to become a father. <laughs> I see. And what about that calendar, honey? You've torn off all 12 months. Why? Well, they say when you get married, the first year is the hardest, and I don't want to know about it. 
Sweetie, I don't want to be cruel, but what makes you think that Al is going to leap into action now? Valentine's Day is coming. Oh, honey, you said the same thing about leap year. You were going to land him on the first day of leap year. Well, it was fate. I was a good leaper, but he was a better ducker. (laughs) Irma, do you seriously intend to marry Al? The moment he asks me. You intend to have children, don't you? Six. Six? Four of each. (laughs) There may be twins, you know. Yeah, well, that's what I'm driving at, honey. You see, children need food, they need clothes, they need education. Well, I was going to educate them myself. I know, honey, but after kindergarten... (laughs) Well, then Al will take over. All right, then after reform school... (laughs) Oh, look, Jane, I I know what you say is is true, but I love Al and I want to marry him. I'm just going to let the future take care of itself. Oh, Irma, this Now, please, Jane, my mind is made up. Oh, gee, I'd better hurry to the beauty parlor. I'll be late. Honey, why do you keep spending money on the beauty parlor? You have such wonderful, naturally curled hair. Yes, but people keep saying there's there's so much that needs to be done to my head. (laughs) See you later. Hello. Oh, it's you, Al. Uh Uh-uh, she just left for the beauty parlor. She'll be right back. What? You're shopping for her Valentine present? What would she like? Gee, I don't know. Uh, where are you shopping? Near Tiffany's? How near Tiffany's? <laughs> oh, the five and ten. <laughs> well, look, Al, will you come over here? There's something very important that I want to discuss with you, huh? Yeah, while Irma's gone. Please hurry, will you? Bye. Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> Jenny, I hope I'm not intruding. No, Professor, not at all. What's on your mind? Well, I'm going away for a week, and I want to sublet my room. Does this ad read right? Well, let me hear it. Wanted gentleman to sublet room. Must be insane. (laughs) Ah, Professor, don't be so dramatic. If there's as much wrong with your room as you say, why call Mrs. O'Reilly up and put your foot down? This is impossible. If I put my foot down in that room, I go right through the floor. (laughs) Well, Professor, I sympathize with you, but I've got other things on my mind. What's wrong with Irma now? Well, she's made up her mind that she's going to marry Al. And you are worried that he won't be able to make a living for her, eh? Well, you know how long it's been since he worked. Yes, that was when the Normandy turned over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he tried to sell the life preservers for white wall tires. <laughs> Jenny, you've got to be philosophical. You know, there is an old saying... All the world is a stage. How does that apply? It don't. This is only a consolation if you ain't got money to go to the movies. Um, that's Al. That's Al. Uh, professor, I'm expecting him. Uh, come in. Oh, Jane. Oh, hi, Professor. Hello, Al. Well, I got to be running along. Don't you want to hear about my new deal? Look, another deal he's got. What is it this time? Shaving cats and selling them for Mexican chihuahuas? <laughs> I stopped tampering with animals, but got a natural. It's a pair of binoculars with built-in pictures of pinup girls. So when a dame drags her husband to the opera, he'll have something to look at. <laughs> How's the sound? Like all the others. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll go up to my room and feed my birds. Birds? What kind of birds do you have? I don't know. When you haven't got any windows, you don't know what you're going to get. Goodbye. <laughs> Well, Jane, what did you want to see me about that's so important? Well, Al, I 
want to talk to you about Irma. Oh. She loves you, and since she has no family within 1,500 miles, I'd like to talk to you like, well, like her father would. Fair enough. Now, Al, just what are your intentions regarding Irma? Well, Pop, I'll tell you. <laughs> I love Irma, and someday I hope to give her my name. What else? <laughs> what else? Yes, what are you going to do about a job? Well, I... I sent an application in. Al, that was a year ago. Boulder Dam is finished. <laughs> Forget about it. Al, you have got to go out and get yourself a job. Oh, now, look, Jane, you got me all wrong. I'm not against work. It's just that a man like me has got to pick the right spot. What do you mean? Well, I'm not the kind of a guy that can work somebody else. I feel I'm a born leader. Got to do things on my own. Maybe I got that same drive that you find in men like Edison, Marconi. Louis Pasteur, and... and Rip uh, Van Winkle. <laughs> well, look, Jane, that's how I am, and nothing's going to change me. I'm willing to work. I want to work for myself. Oh, Al, that's ridiculous. Why? Richard works for himself. Are you comparing yourself to Richard? Why, why he's a self-made man. Richard could retire on just what people owe him. Well, I could retire on what I owe people. <laughs> now, Al, don't joke. I give you my word that unless you straighten yourself out, I'm going to do my best to prevent Irma from marrying you. Well, I've got to go down and meet Richard now, but this isn't the last that you've heard from me. Oh, hello, chicken. Hi, Jane. Hello, Al, honey. Oh, Al, your ears are burning. I bet you were talking about me. Yeah, chicken. I was just telling Jane how much I love you. Oh, Jane, isn't Al the answer to a girl's dreams? It all depends on what she ate before she went to bed. <laughs> i got to run along now, kids, but you uh, think about what we discussed, Al. Bye. Well, what did Jane mean, honey? Ah, that dame burns me up. Just because her guy Richard is loaded with dough, she keeps harping on me to get a job. Well, Al, I think if you loved me, you would. If I loved you? Chicken, how can you hurt me like that? <laughs> hurt you, Al? If you only knew how thoughts of you stay with me everywhere I go. In the subway, the wheels go clickety-clack, clickety-clack. But in my ears, they're saying, Irma, Irma, Irma. In the park, the wind caressing my cheek is just a soft touch of your fingers. Even in Coney Island, when I'm throwing baseballs, your face is always before me. Oh, Al, that, that's beautiful. I, I'm sorry I doubted your love. Don't want you to be sorry, chicken. Just want you to understand my problem. You see, there are two types of men. The weak-willed, who are always on the defense... And the strong-minded who like to take the offense. Oh, I understand, Al. I've never found anyone more offensive than you. <laughs> Thanks, Jane. See, that's why, by nature, I can't work for anybody else. Well, why don't you work for yourself, Al? Well, that takes cash, chicken. And we'll just have to wait until I can get my hands on some. Oh, Al. Oh, what's the matter, chicken? I'm so tired of waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm afraid my children are going to be older than I am. Can't be helped, chicken. Oh, back already? Oh, hiya, Richard. Hello, Al. Jane has been telling me that you've been making snide remarks, that I owe my success to the fact that I was born with a gold spoon in my mouth. Well, that's ridiculous. You would have choked to death. Oh. <laughs> Irma, please. Now, Al, what you say is not true. I had to work for my success. No, I admit my father gave me a thousand dollars to get started with, but from there on, it was up to me. So what? If anyone gave me a thousand dollars with my business mind, you'd see a new sign on Wall Street. 
J.P. Morgan, and Al. <laughs> oh, Al, I think your name should come first. After all, you're putting up the money. <laughs> Irma. Irma, will, will you just stay out of this? Look, please? Al, what, what you're trying to tell me is that the only thing you want is a start, right? Right. Okay, Al. I've got a proposition to make. Huh? Now, Jane and I are terribly fond of Irma, and her future welfare is our chief concern. Now, since you say you can't work for anyone else but must be on your own, well, we want you to have the same opportunity I had. So, here is my check for $1,000. Oh, I couldn't accept it. It's certified. Oh, that's different. <laughs> okay, Richard, thanks. Now I'll show you. Now, remember, Al, it's a loan, and it must be used in a legitimate business. Oh, legitimate, huh? Well, that may slow me down a bit, but I'll think of something. Say, ladies, how would you like to have a luxurious mink coat? Well, then, find out about the exciting Lever $100,000 fur contest. Hello? Oh, hello, Dottie. Say, listen, how would you like to have a real mink coat? No, I'm not kidding. You really can get one by winning one of the Lever Fur Contests. Why, all you have to do is tell why you like one of these. Swan soap, Lux Flakes, Lux Toilet Soap, Life Boy, Rinse or Spry. And we can enter as many times as we want to. Well, I have to dash. Turn on your radio right now and you'll hear more about it. Bye. There are 1,645 prizes in all. 329 each week in this $100,000 contest. Each week, the following prizes will be awarded. One gorgeous $3,000 mink coat. Three $1,000 fur coats. Five smart $500 fur jackets. As well as many other prizes of valuable furs and cash. And ladies, you may choose your own coat at your favorite store when you win. Or you can have the cash. Now... Here are the rules. In 25 words or less, tell why you like any one of these six lever products. Swan soap, Lux, Lux toilet soap, Life Boy, Rinso, or Spry. Enclose a wrapper or box top from one of them. Print your name and address and the name and address of your dealer. He'll help you. Also, be sure to get your entry blank from him. It will give you all the information you need. This contest is limited to the continental United States, Hawaii, and Alaska. Mail your entries to Lever Fur Contest, Box 1, New York 8, New York. Be sure to get your entry blank from your dealer tomorrow. That address, Lever Fur Contest, Box 1, New York 8, New York. You may win a luxurious fur coat or cash. So start writing your letters tonight. Twenty-four hours since Al started out to set the world on fire with Richard's thousand dollars. So far, we've had no word from him. I'm not confident. But knowing Al and his deals, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he buys a thousand dollars worth of peas, whitewashes them, and sells them for pearls. <laughs> Honestly, I'm really worried. After all, I was responsible for Richard lending the thousand dollars. Irma, what, Jane? I wonder what sort of business Al is going to invest in. Hello? Hello, chicken. This is Al. Now, let me do the talking. Don't want Jane to know it's me. You understand? Yes, Henry. Got great news, chicken. Just bought a sensational heavyweight. Paid the $1,000 for his contract. He's got ten decisions and five knockouts to his credit. Well, that's wonderful. What business is he in? Chicken, he's a fighter. Name is Billy Boy. Gonna make a fortune with this guy. Now, don't crack the Jane till I get there. 
Want to see the way her eyes light up when I tell her? All right, George. Goodbye. Irma, I heard you say Henry. Why'd you say goodbye, George? Well, uh, uh, they're partners. <laughs> Irma Peterson, was that Al? Was it? Well, you'll never find out from me. Al would hate me if I told you. <laughs> what business is he in? Well, I-, I can't tell you until he does. Oh, well, all right. Then I won't try to guess. There's no sense in my knocking myself out. Oh, you guessed it. What? Uh, knocking yourself out. He's a fighter. His name is Billy Boy. What? A fighter? Oh, Irma, you... Come in. It's only me again. <laughs> Jenny, why do you look so distressed? Oh, Professor, Richard loaned Al a thousand dollars to go into business, and he bought a prize fighter named Billy Boy. Sleeping Billy Boy. I know him well. <laughs> he was married to a little waitress in the gypsy tea room. They finally got a divorce. Fighting? Yeah, she was always beating him up. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's what I figured. Oh, why did I ever talk Richard into this thing? Well, maybe Billy Boy's making a comeback. Who knows? If they get the right match, he might win. Oh. Who with any kind of a name could he beat? Uh, Margaret O'Brien. <laughs> Come in. Hiya, folks. Well, I did it. Well, what's all the noise? <laughs> hey, Jane, why are you staring at me like that? You haven't heard the good news. Oh, you heard the good news. Well, I-, I didn't tell her Al she guessed. Al, how could you do this? Now, wait a minute. You don't even know the man. I admit the guy's been knocked out in his first ten fights, but he's coasting. Wants to find the right spot. Where? In the morgue? <laughs> now, look, Jane. I never was a chump, and I ain't one now. Got Billy Boy booked to fight Gentleman Jim McKenzie, and I'm going to clean up? Oh, Al, you're out of your mind. Now, take it easy, Jane. Before you start condemning me, why don't you come down to the gym and take a look at my boy? Oh, let's go, Jane. Gee, I haven't been to a gym since I went to school. Wait a minute. Where are you going? To get my midi blouse and bloomers. (laughs) Well, here we are at the gym. Al, myself, and the bloomer girl. And overpounding the punching bag is Al Spider. Yeah, there he stands, a mass of something. I don't think he's very solid because the electric fan is on and he's rippling. But he does have an interesting face. Two large, bushy eyebrows. No, my mistake, that's his hairline. The man has no forehead. I don't know how to describe him quickly. Let us just say that if you printed the word brandy on his Adam's apple, he could pass for a St. Bernard. (laughs) But I must say he has quite a punch. Now he's shadow boxing. He swings his right. He swings his left. Now he's down. I think his shadow hit back. (laughs) No. No, he slipped. Hey, Billy Boy, get up. What happened? Sorry, boss. It's this trick knee of mine again. Trick knee? Well, you didn't say anything about that when I signed you. Don't like to talk about it. Does it bother you often? Oh, no, only when I fight. (laughs) Every time I get set to throw a punch, my knee buckles. And while I'm bending over to see what's wrong, they let me have it. But don't worry, boss. In a few days, I'm as good as ever. Well, Al, I have to congratulate you. Most promoters are satisfied just to buy a regular fighter. You, you have to be fancy. You have to get the collapsible model. (laughs) But he kept it a secret. 
The guy I bought him from said he was fast on his feet, very shifty. How should I know every time he shifted, he went out of gear? Well, Al, now that I've seen your fighter, I'll run along and tell Richard that he's poorer by a thousand dollars. What a businessman. Oh, gee, Al, I think Jane's unfair. No, chicken, she's right. Billy Boyle will get in the ring, and in one minute he'll be down on his knee. Well, that's not so bad. That's the way Al Jolson started. <laughs> but I can't sing. Oh, Al, don't be downhearted. Ah, oh, please, chicken. What's the use of kidding ourselves? This guy is nothing. I've been taken, gypped, swindled. And there's only one honest thing to do. Well, what, Al? Try to unload him on somebody else. <laughs> and in a case like that, there's only one man who can help us. Who, Al? Who else but... Hello, Joe. <laughs> Al, got a problem. Want to unload a boxer? No, not a dog. Wait, I take that back. He is. <laughs> His name is Billy Boy. Yeah, that's the guy, yeah. Joe, I'm stuck with him. How can I unload him without people finding out about his knee? Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. Put Irma on his lap and sell him for a ventriloquist. <laughs> Look, Joe, I'm in no mood for gags. I gotta think fast. So long. Nothing doing, Al? No, we're cooked. Out of my way. I'm ready. I'll kill him. Hold it, Billy. That's not the gun. <laughs> Hello? Uh, hello, Stillman's Jim. I, I want to talk to Al. Yeah, this is Al. What do you want, Richard? I understand you're not the financial wizard you set out to be. Don't rub it in, Richard. Now, what I mean is that I hear that you took your investment and didn't put it in, shall we say, a solid piece of furniture. Well, he's solid, all right, but how can I know he'd turn out to have gate-leg knees? <laughs> well, look, Al, uh, Jane's here in the office, and we want to talk to you. Come over here right away. You've gotten us all in a mess. I'll be right over, Richard. Goodbye. Chicken, it's murder. Can't work for others. Can't work for myself. Just don't know how I'm going to make a living. Oh, but, Al, what if Billy Boy beats gentleman Jim McKenzie tonight? Oh, chicken, he's got no chance to win. I tell you, the guy's a bum. Gee, you sound like my own mother. <laughs> well, I got to go square myself with Richard. I'll, I'll see you. You know, miss, I don't think he has any confidence in me. Oh, no, we're ruined. <laughs> Mine? You see, Al can't work for himself and has to be the boss, and Richard has always been the boss and has money, so he lent Al money so he could be in business like Richard, who has a gold spoon in his mouth, which he got from his father by you. <laughs> That's a little hard for me to follow. <laughs> you see, I'm a little punchy from fighting so long. Well, then I'll tell it to you more slowly and clearly. You see, Richard wanted to invest, so he left Al invest in you because of Richard's girlfriend, Jane, who rooms with me. But you being a bad investment, I can't get married now to you or Richard. That is because I belong to Al. Lady, how long you been fighting? <laughs> What's the difference? All my dreams have been shattered. I'll have to go back to Wisconsin. Wisconsin? You from Wisconsin, lady? Yes, I'm Irma Peterson. How do you like that? I'm from Wisconsin, too. You are? Well, when's the last time you were there? Oh, not since I started fighting. They won't let me back in the state. <laughs> There's a big debate going on over me. What is it? 
Wisconsin is trying to prove that I was born in North Dakota. <laughs> They're ashamed of you? Yeah. You see, I never want to fight. Well, why not? You're big and strong and you're from Wisconsin. Have you no state pride? Yeah, I'd like to win so I could go back to Wisconsin, but it's my knee. The minute I get in a ring, it buckles. I look down, and the next thing you know, it's Fourth of July. Fireworks all over me. <laughs> well, well, don't look down when your knee buckles. Look up. Think of Wisconsin. It will give you courage. Well, I want my state to be proud of me. Tonight, when I get in the ring, I'm going to be a different man. I'll murder gentleman Jim McKenzie. Gee, I guess it was fate needing you. Two lost souls, both from Wisconsin. Oh, that's right. And keep it on your mind tonight when you're fighting. Wisconsin, the dairy state, the home of the contented cow. <laughs> the dairy state. I must remember that. I must fight for dear old Wisconsin. Well, goodbye. I won't say good luck. I'll just say moo. <laughs> The gong for the opening round is just about to sound. Gentleman Jim McKenzie is coming into the ring, followed by his trainers. Here comes Billy Boy, supported by his trainers. Al is beaming proudly. He's waving at the boxing commissioner with one hand and taking cigars out of the referee's pocket with the other. Now he's come over to join us. Got the hand of the Richard, Jane. He's got a great financial mind. Smart of him to make us all bet on McKenzie to beat Billy Boy. In that way, we'll get even and make a little. Well, things like that account for my success. And to use a Wall Street term, it's called protecting your investment. Say, here, here comes Irma. Yeah. What is she doing with a cowbell in each hand? <laughs> What's the difference? The fight's going to start. Yeah. Sit, sit down. down. Sit down, Irma. Sit down. Ladies and gentlemen, the final event of tonight's Elks Club Smoker, a ten-round bout to the finish. On my right... Seeing no one would believe, Billy Boy is up. But not for long. He's down again. Six, seven, eight, <laughs> Stop that mooing. What would you see, Jane? Oh, honey, be quiet. Billy Boy is up. He's a different man. Look. Now Mackenzie's down. Eight, nine, ten, you're out. <gasps> no. No. Billy Boy has won the fight. Oh, I did it, Jane. I did it. And it was all because of my mooing. What are you talking about? Well, we wanted Billy Boy to win. And when I found out he was from Wisconsin, I got him to fight like a man. Irma, this may be news to you, but your mooing has just cost Richard $3,000. You see, we bet on Mackenzie. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Richard. I, 
thought you wanted Billy Boy to win. That's why I moved. You see, we're both from Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Irma, you were born in Minnesota. <laughs> well, this is a fine time to tell me. Ladies, now with Swan Soap, you can get the kind of complexion care you've been dreaming of. Sure, because Swan's exclusive super creamed blend gives you a wonderful new kind of beauty lather. A rich, mild beauty lather that cleanses so gently and rinses away so completely, your skin is left fresh, smooth, lovely as ever. So, for perfect complexion care, make your regular facial soap super cream swan soap. My friend Irma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Frank Bingman speaking. Spry. Cakes are light and high. Spry. There's a reason why. Spry. Cakes improve with Spry. Rely on Spry. You bet there's a reason why Spry is the cake-making wonder. Spry has an amazing cake improver secret. Try the sure Spry one bowl way and be certain of lighter, finer, richer cakes every time. No other type of shortening has Spry's cake improver secret. For new cake-making success, rely on Spry. Pure, all-vegetable Spry with cake improvers. Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y. Rely on Spry. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Oh, I've been reading this magazine. Oh, the Cosmopolitan. Mm -hmm. There's a story about your program. Well, I know. The fellow who wrote that, Joe McCarthy, hung around with us for a whole week. He tells how you work with the writers, yeah. how you make up the jokes, yeah. how you put the program on the radio. Uh-huh. Mama says the story only leaves out one thing. What one thing? It tells how you do it, but it doesn't tell why you do it. Uh <laughs> well, millions of people who own radio sets are asking the same question. <laughs> Mama says radio is disappearing. Radio is disappearing? On account of television. Oh, that's ridiculous. Well, Mama says since she got her television set, she hasn't turned on her radio. Why not? Mama says after looking at television, her eyes are so blurred, she can't find the radio to turn it on. Oh, I think that's happening all over. <laughs> Portland Hoffa makes a great foil for Fred Allen. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob welcoming you to another edition of the Fred Allen Show. This Fred Allen Show is on February 6th, 1949, and the episode is entitled Planning a TV Show, which ironically, if you think about it, or maybe you don't know, is that Fred Allen had zero success in television. He had better success in radio, definitely. And Fred's guest star is Bert Lahr, formerly the Cowardly Lion from The Wizard of Oz. So, enjoy that, and I'll see you guys back next week. Uh -huh.
Ford dealers of America present the Fred Allen Show. The Fred Allen Show with Fred's guests, Bert Law, Fulton Hoffa, Minerva Pius, Peter Donald, Parker Finley, the DeMarco sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And this is Kenny Delmar saying hello for your friendly Ford dealer. And here's a hello from his Ford trained mechanics, too. They're the men you know who do the expert work you can always count on when you bring your Ford back home for service. To help them do a better, faster job, they use special labor-saving Ford equipment. They work by factory-approved methods, and they know the value of using genuine Ford parts made right to fit right and last longer. That's why the best service can cost less at your Ford dealers. It's why you save time, save trouble, and save money when you bring your Ford back home for service. Sunday night again, and here comes Fred Allen, driving up in his new Ford to keep his weekly date at the corner of Main Street. As Fred steps out of his Ford, he hears a voice say, Mr. Allen! Oh, Portland, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was held up in traffic, Portland. I guess I'm a little late, or didn't you notice? Oh, I've been reading this magazine. Oh, the Cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. There's a story about your program. Well, I know. The fellow who wrote that, Joe McCarthy, hung around with us for a whole week. He tells how you work with the writers, how you make up the jokes, how you put the program on the radio. Uh Uh-huh. Mama says the story only leaves out one thing. What one thing? It tells how you do it, but it doesn't tell why you do it. Uh (laughs) Well, millions of people who own radio sets are asking the same question. (laughs) Mama says... Radio is disappearing. Radio is disappearing? On account of television. Oh, that's ridiculous. Mama says since she got her television set, she hasn't turned on her radio. Why not? Mama says after looking at television, her eyes are so blurred, she can't find the radio to turn it on. I think that's happening all over. uh, Speaking speaking of television, uh, uh, there was a rumor around that Milton Berle wasn't on this last A hundred saloons closed down. (laughs) Milton Berle had virus X. X? He can't spell pneumonia, hey? (laughs) He must have been pretty sick. Well, I don't know how a germ can even get at Berle. He has enough mold on his jokes to make his own penicillin. live to see the day Burl gets applause on this program. <laughs> it must have been a recording someone sneaked in. Well, what's new this week, Portland? Grover Whalen says that the city of New York should advertise itself. You mean like on the radio with jingles? Yes. I wrote a poem about New York. No kidding. How does the poem go? New York's the greatest city. By two rivers, it is bound. It has the highest buildings and three subways underground. It has more theaters, shops, and stores, a million worthwhile sites. If you don't know where New York is, it's a suburb of Jackson Heights. Well, before Grover Whalen closes in on the two of us and beats us to death with a gardenia for us, I think I'll go along and get the paper. Let's take a walk down Main Street. All right, let's go. What does the paper say? Well, this page here, you see, has pictures of the dog show. Look. 
That man is standing with a bird dog. Well, how do you know it's a bird dog? It's giving the man one. Uh, <laughs> oh, I just thought the dog's tongue was hanging out. I didn't realize what it was doing. Say, here's something. Look, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that the cost of living has fallen for the third month in a row. Do you think people have noticed that prices are dropping? Well, there's only one way to find out. Let's ask some people now as we're walking along Main Street. This man with the bat wing tie, who is carrying the rest of the bat in his hand. <laughs> pardon, uh, pardon me, bud. Clag on, say Clag on's your name, son. Senator Clag on out here. Well, Don't hold me up, son. What's on your mind? I'm busy eating a fly trying to float in a glass of Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> You're busy? Yeah, I've been going to night school, studying Russian. Studying Russian? Stalin invited the president over to Moscow. Say, I read that the president turned down that invitation. Why, Senator? Harry don't want to leave Washington, son. Well, why not? Harry had enough trouble getting there. <laughs> Why did Stalin invite the president to Russia? The Republicans say Stalin wants to congratulate Harry. He's got the whole country in the red. Uh, <laughs> well, do you, uh, do you think Russia's making any progress? Well, they're trying, son, but they ain't got the know-how. No? This week, the first washing machine come out in, Was in Moscow. Really? Yeah, but nobody in Russia can use it. Why can't the Russian people use the washing machine? No soap. Uh, <laughs> I see. Well, Senator, about our question, why are prices coming down? It's them radio quiz shows, son. People are getting too much stuff for nothing. Oh. Half of the people in the country got flat feet. Flat feet from what? Standing by for the giant jackpot. <laughs> well, do you think prices will keep falling, Senator? Yes, son. You can quote me. Prices will keep falling. Why? Big business is going to take a licking. Oh. When I was a little boy, my daddy used to take me out to the woodshed. Yeah? That's where I learned. In the woodshed, how could you learn about prices falling? Son, when you're going to take a licking, something's got to come down. <laughs> Portland, look across. Look at that crowd outside of Carnegie Hall. Oh, Mama had tickets for tonight, but she isn't going. Well, why not? The ad said, for the entire evening, Horowitz will be at the Baldwin. At the Baldwin, mm -hmm. huh? Mama said, why should she pay to see some man sitting all night with an apple? Yes. <laughs> Better he should be there with his Macintosh in case it rained later. Hey, look, look, for, look who just turned the corner. Titus Moody. Hi, Mr. Moody. Howdy, bub. <laughs> Mr. Moody, you are as white as a sheet. I'm whiter than most sheets. <laughs> been, uh, <laughs> been, uh, been ailing? Yeah, I'm just getting over a spell of tomane. Oh, where did you pick up the tomane? Why, the Achieve and Chatter Club, they had to do. The Achieve and Chatter Club, eh? Yeah, they cooked up a squirrel stew. Uh-huh. When I got my plate... I saw something in the stew. You saw something in the stew? And I think it saw me. <laughs> when you when you finished eating the squirrel stew, it, it it felt like the squirrel come to life and was burying things in my stomach. <laughs> you were you were upset? Yeah. I took a stiff jolt of elderberry wine. Yeah. I got higher than a tomcat's back. You did, hey? While Miss Arthur Dixon was singing Don't Leave Your Mother When Her Hair Turns Gray, yes. I started singing Peeking Through the Knot Hole in Grandma's Wooden Leg. Yes. And I heard somebody saying, 
Moody has got a skinful. <laughs> Moody's got a skinful, eh? Next thing I know, I woke up. It was the next day, and over my bed, Miss Moody had hung a picture of Carrie Nation. Fine. Well, tell me, Titus, what about the uh, wrong generation? Tell me, Titus, <laughs> what about uh, what about this trend? Prices dropping, people saving money. Oh, money don't mean nothing to me. It doesn't? No, uh, I always do like my brother Huber. Yeah? Huber's a politician up in the woods of Maine. Politician, eh? Yeah, Huber never has any money. Well, how's he get along? Well, every winter, Huber, he kills a deer. Yes? If Huber owes people, he pays them, passing out deer meat. Or oh, he uses deer meat for money. Yeah, uh, Huber's like the rest of the politicians. How? He lives by passing the buck. So long, but... <laughs> Well, let's, uh, let's walk faster, Portland. I think it's getting colder out. <clears throat> Look who just came out of the Capitol Theater. Mrs. Nussbaum. Say, which way is a drugstore? <laughs> a drugstore? I'm needing an aspirin. Why do you need an aspirin? There is no escaping. Well, Mrs. Nussbaum. Slowly, I'm going crazy. What's wrong? Every morning, I'm turning on my radio. Yes? It's coming on Arthur Godfrey. Arthur Godfrey? At night, I'm turning on my television set. Yes? Coming on Arthur Godfrey. Every... Today, yes. finally, I'm saying to myself, Pansy, get out of the house. Go to a movie. Yes. This way you are escaping Arthur Godfrey. What, uh, what happened? I'm going into the Capitol Theater. The Capitol Theater? I'm sitting nicely in a seat, shucking mine horseshoe bar. <laughs> After you had finished shucking your Hershey bar. Suddenly it is the stage show. Yes. Who is coming out on the stage? Who? Who do you think? Step and fetch it. He's coming on second. <laughs> well, who came on first? Arthur Godfrey. Now, wait a minute. Enough with Godfrey, Mrs. Nussbaum. Tell me, have you noticed that prices are lower? On account of low prices, my husband Pierre is getting virus max. <laughs> Virus Max, eh? Well, how do you how do you mean on account of low prices? Well, Pierre is running a fur business. Yes. Monday, Pierre is having a markdown sale. Markdown, huh? Tuesday, he's cutting the markdown prices. Yes. Wednesday, he is slashing the cut prices. Oh. <laughs> Thursday, Pierre is selling furs all day outside on the sidewalk. Yes. Well, it's raining, and Pierre is catching the Virus Max. But what, what was Pierre doing selling furs outside on the sidewalk? Prices finally is so low. Yes. Pierre is ashamed to be seen in the store. Oh, I see. <laughs> After looking at these characters, Portland, Main Street should really put on a straitjacket. You haven't found out anything about lower prices, have you? Well, not yet. I tell you what I'll do, though. I'll try one more passerby. This little man carrying the long swizzle stick for a cane. Hi, Copper. You know, get your hands off me, I'll take you. I'll tell you what you're doing. What Double voice Cassidy. It isn't Doodles Weaver, me boy. Ajax, you're all dressed up again this week. Oh, sure. I'm the adult Vonju at Third Avenue. Oh, really? I'm always setting styles. Setting styles? Eh? I was the first man in the Easter parade to wear broccoli for a boutonniere. I didn't know that. I, I was the first man with a full dress suit to wear black spats and bare feet. I don't know that either, but tell me. 
Why are you dressed up today? Well, this afternoon, you see, I, I went to a wedding. Yes? Pegine Drumgoole married Cosmos Hennessy. Oh, I see. Oh, Pegine couldn't resist a uniform. A uniform, eh? And Cosmos was a street cleaner. <laughs> well, how was the wedding? It was a sight to behold me, boy. The bride and groom left the church under an arch of dirty brooms. <laughs> and as they drove off in the big swill truck, the guests were holding their noses and waving goodbye. <laughs> I'm sorry I missed it, Ajax. But tell me about our question now. Have you noticed prices dropping? Oh, I have, me boy. Hugh Haggerty, the haberdasher, has white duck shirts for 98 cents. Is that retail? It's no tail. Uh... <laughs> but there's a catch to it. Yes? With every shirt, Haggerty gives you one handkerchief free. Well, where's the catch? The handkerchief is the tail of your shirt. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, tell, are you glad that prices are coming down? Oh, I am, that. When food is cheap... I can give the wife less money to run the house. Yes. And that leaves me more money to spend in Kerrigan's. Oh, fine. When everything is low, I can be high. Goodbye, Evo. So long. Well, come on, Portland. Come away from that music store window. There's a big picture of Carmen Lombardo. Carmen Lombardo. And it's advertising his song. Oh, the song, Powder Your Face with Sunshine. What is that song like? You know what? Some Sunday I'll have Al Goodman and his orchestra and the five DeMarco sisters do powder your face with sunshine, Portland. And you know something? It'll sound something like this. Listen now. Powder your face with sunshine. Put on a great big smile. Make up your eyes with laughter. Hope you'll be laughing with you in a Wait, wait here just a minute, Paul. And Kenny Delmar came out, just came out of the four dealers. There's a man in a loud checkered suit with him. Say, hi, Kenny. Hello, Fred. I want you to meet a friend of mine, Adjective Adams. Adjective is a press agent for a circus. Well, glad to know you, Adjective. It's the most super colossal pleasure of my sensational mastodonic career, Mr. Allen. Yeah, I've just been showing Mr. Adams the new Ford trucks, Fred, and yeah. he was quite impressed. My exact words were they're tremendous, titanic, gargantuan, and super magnitudinous. <laughs> Say, they must be pretty big. Well, the big jobs are the biggest trucks Ford has ever built, Fred. In tractor-trailer operations, they have loads growing up to 20 tons with power to spare. Ford trucks are a standard for colossal commodiousness, the new comfort criterion of the century. Well, it sounds good, Kenny, but what does it mean? Well, that's Adjective Adams' way of describing the comfort of the Ford truck's new million-dollar 
cab, Fred. Truck drivers are all raving about it. And the drivers are right. It's dividend dimension for time-defying duration and dutyability. Kenny, this I will never understand. Well, that's an easy one, Fred. It means that all the new Ford trucks are bonus built. All 139 new Ford truck models are built extra strong to last longer. Well, Kenny, this is very impressive, but don't you think that adjective Adams here exaggerates just a little? Oh, of course not, Fred. Almost no? any truck operator will tell you exactly the same thing about that great new line of Ford trucks. Well, so long, Kenny. And Mr. Adams, a stupendous, awe-inspiring, gigantic good night to you, sir. You took the words right out of my mouth. So long, brother. So long, adjective. <laughs> Portland, I, uh, I'll have to hurry along. I'm due over at the rehearsal hall. I'm auditioning acts to, uh, tonight for a big review. A review? It's for television. Last week, you know, Admiral put on a whole Broadway review with Sid Caesar. It was a sensation. Who's going to be in your review? Well, I don't know yet. I put this ad in the paper. What ad? I have it right here, you see. It says, Wanted for New Television Review. Singers, dancers, and old vaudeville acts. Get into television now before it turns back into radio again. <laughs> <laughs> well, Portland, I have to get over to the rehearsal hall. I'll see you later. Good night. Good night, Portland. Ah, uh, Sam Starlight Studio. Here's the rehearsal hall. Well, I hope my newspaper ad gets some results. I'll go in and see what's cooking here. Wonder where the manager is. Hey, Sam. Sam. Oh, uh, yeah. Hi, Mr. Oh, Allen. Behind the scenery. Didn't see you. Hello, Sam. Have any acts shown up for my audition? Well, uh, Herman the Human Fly was here. Herman the Human Fly? Yeah. He said he couldn't wait no longer. He sat around on the ceiling for a while and left. <laughs> Too bad, you know. I might, I may be able to use a human fly. Yeah, well, Herman said he'd give you a buzz later. Oh, good. <laughs> well, has, uh, has anyone else, uh... Pardon me, is, is Fred Allen here? Bert Lars. <laughs> Bert, what are you doing here? Well, I've seen your ad in the paper. I want to get in the television. Television? Bert, you're a big star in the theater. Oh, the theater is old-fashioned. Old-fashioned? Yes, they say in New Jersey, the theater is passate. <laughs> Bert, the theater? Ah, oh, the theater is washed up. Who's left in the theater? Lutton Fontaine, Cornell and Princeton. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm getting into television before it's too late. Well, Bert, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, you're on the road with that hit show, Make Mine Manhattan. Well, don't mention the road to me. What's wrong with the road? I'm in Philadelphia now. <laughs> Have you ever spent a Sunday in Philadelphia? No. Well, I was walking around Philadelphia this morning. It felt like it was Resurrection Day, and I was a first one up. <laughs> Bert, I remember the road used to be a lot of fun. Those boarding houses. Remember Mother Boone's in Baltimore? Uh, Mother Boone never trusted actors. The towels, the towels were nailed to the bathroom wall. <laughs> yes, Mother Boone was sure cheap. When you finish shaving, she'd take the lather and use it for meringue. <laughs> yeah, Mother Boone wouldn't give you any hot water until after she finished boiling something in it. Right. <laughs> One Saturday night, I took a bath. Yeah. Mother Boone gave me the water she had cooked some cabbage in. Cabbage? Yeah, I left town smelling like a boiled dinner. Well, how about those hotels on the road, Bert? Remember, remember the Mammoth Hotel in South Bend? Yeah, I had a room at the Mammoth. Yeah? It was so small, I had to leave the window open. Why? Well, when I put my key through the keyhole, it used to break the window. <laughs> 
That was small. Yeah, the transom had stained glass. Stained glass? Yeah, the guy who had it before me chewed a batter. <laughs> Remember the house detective at the Mammoth? Boy, was he cross-eyed. His eyes left over. <laughs> he was the only house detective I ever knew who could look through a keyhole with both eyes. <laughs> ah, hotels today are murder. Well, it's still fun traveling around on trains. Yeah, but today you can't get reservations. I had to go up to Boston on a cattle train. You rode on a cattle train? Yeah, the other passengers were nothing but cows. <laughs> when I saw the conductor coming through the train with a pail... I got off at New Haven. No kidding. Fred, I gotta get into television. Well, Bert, my show is going to be a Broadway review. I've got to get some vaudeville acts. Well, I can get you all the acts you want, Fred. Some good acts, really? Yeah. Remember Sloan and the singing rats? Say, whatever happened to Sloan? Well, I met, I met him last week in Philadelphia. He was looking for a job. Oh, really? Is Sloan getting his rat act together again? I think so. He had two pounds of cheese. He said he was casting. <laughs> Singing rats. You know what, Bert? I can open with a big rat choir. All the rats on the hind legs singing. And uh, that'll just for the opening, you see. Now, what other acts can I get? Well, remember Murphy's Midgets? Murphy's Midgets. What happened to Murphy when Vaudeville disappeared? Uh, Murphy had a tough time. Went broke, eh? Murphy finally shaved all the hair off the midgets and put them in an orphan asylum. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, if you want the act, Murphy can adopt the midgets and have them out in the morning. Well, the midgets will be great on television. You know, on those small screens, you could show more people with midgets. <laughs> Tell me, what uh, what other acts do you think we can line up, Bird? Remember Bosco the talking dog? Oh, Bosco, the Boston bull who never made a grammatical error. Yeah, I can get Bosco. I was talking to him the other day at the AMP. Oh, were you really? Say, Bert, I just happened to think. <laughs> On television, Bosco, the dog, will have to learn new dialogue every week. Well, then we better forget about Bosco. The dog can talk. He must know how to read. Well, Bosco can read all right. What's wrong? Well, his eyes are bad, and Bosco can't wear glasses. Well, why not? His ears flop down. <laughs> well, I'm not worried about the other acts, Bert. I can build my television show around you. Around me? <laughs> Why, certainly. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I'm just thinking how funny I'm going to be. <laughs> You'll be great, Bert. When my television review opens, first, you'll see two minutes of flickering. And then... <laughs> then you'll come on and sing a song. You mean something like this? A sleepy lagoon. A tropical moon. And two on an island, oh, two on an island. <laughs> a tropical moon, a sleepy lagoon, and you. Brett, that is great. I tell you what we'll do. We'll open the review with Sleepy Lagoon. I'll have Sloan singing rats group behind you with canoe paddles, humming the obligato. <laughs> Now, that's the opening. What can we do next? Well, how about a short play? What kind of a play? Well, Fred, I got an English drawing room sketch that makes no coward sound like Jack Eigen. <laughs> you mean it's sophisticated? My characters not only drop their H's, after they drop them, they step on them. <laughs> Say, this is what television needs, Bert. What's the, what's the name of your play? Amnesia. Amnesia. Yeah, the play opens with a short overture. <laughs> Don't bother 
Giles. I shall open the door. Coming, coming. Lady Gwendolen. Sir Stafford, what a ripping surprise. I was just popping by, Lady Gwendolen. Thought I'd return this to you. My riding crop. Uh, you dropped your crop at the aunt last week. <laughs> I dropped my crop, fancy. You didn't miss it? Not at all. Amnesia, you know. Amnesia? A nasty blow with a cricket bat at the age of three. So three. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, may I take your humble? Thank you. I say, Lady Gwendolyn, you're hanging my hat on the nozzle of that teapot. I thought it was the whole tree. I forgot. Amnesia, you know. Oh, Lady Gwendolyn, dashed it all. I've fallen medley in love with you. Medley? Medley. <laughs> it was the day of the yacht. The way you jumped over that nine-foot hedge. What made you watch me? You had forgotten your horse. <laughs> Lady Gwendolyn, I kiss your hand. Sir Stafford, you're going above the knuckle. Sorry, you have short fingers. <laughs> Lady Gwendolyn, will you marry me? But I hardly know you, Sir Stafford. Your position? My position. <laughs> I have a townhouse in London, a castle in Stafford, and my country seat is the biggest in all Devonshire. Your seat? It's so big, part of it is outside of Devonshire. <laughs> Marry me, Lady Gwendolyn. Oh, so Stafford. Lady Gwendolyn. Cheerio, everyone. Lizzie, old top, you're just in time to congratulate us. Oh, I see. Congratulate you. So Stafford and I are getting married. Married? But Lady... But Gwendolyn, you're married to me. Oh, sorry, Sir Stafford. I can't marry you. Lady Gwendolyn, how could you forget you had a husband? Amnesia, you know. <laughs> That's the play, Fred. What do you think of it? It's great, Bert. My television show will be a sensation. Sloan's Rats, Murphy's Midgets, Bosco the Talking Dog, you and this English sketch. Now, all I need is a finish. Say, I got an idea. How about a minstrel show? Straight, a minstrel. If Dick and Pat can do a minstrel show, so can we. I can see it now, Bert. As the curtain rises, the orchestra's playing. <laughs> How do you feel tonight? Well, I feel like the inside of a stool. How's that? Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, m -m -m Mr. Locketer. Yes, Mr. Tambo. Why is a girl with a home permanent never alone? Tell me, Mr. Tambo, why is a girl with a home permanent never alone? Because she always has her Tony. Yeah. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, Tambo and Bones and the entire company join in a beautiful rendition of Ring the Banjo. Hit it, Professor. The time's never weary, if the darky never grows. The lady's never weary, with the rattle of the bones. Then come again, Susanna, by the gaslight of the moon. We'll turn the old piano when the banjo's out tune. Ring, ring the banjo, I like that good old song. Come again, my true love, oh, why have you been so long? Ring, ring the banjo, I like that good old song.
one more thing before we go, ladies and gentlemen. Here's an invitation from your Ford dealer. Until you actually drive the new Ford, you can't imagine how different it feels. It's an experience I know you'll enjoy. Your Ford dealer invites you to drop around this week and get behind the wheel. When you drive the new Ford, you'll see what we mean. Next week, our guest will be, surprise, Dr. Rockwell. Thank you and good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Oh.